And we're going to uh, do the whole story, but we're going to, for the moment, we're just going to look at the 14th verse of Luke chapter 15. And uh, it simply says this. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. When he had spent everything, a famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And I want to just preach tonight this, running on empty, running on empty. Lord, we love you today, and we're so very thankful for this entire day, from this morning service to tonight. Lord, we've had a chance to be into your presence a great time and a great amount of time on this day, and we know you've been with us. We know you've spoken to us. And, Lord, we ask that once again, your word, your word doesn't change, so we're not asking you to change your word or do a better job speaking to us. We're praying that we would receive it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Confession time. How many of you have ever run out of gas? All right. Anybody? Let's, let's, let, let's, let's just delve in. Confession time. Anybody ran out of gas this year? We've got, we've got a couple. Anybody ran out of gas in the last three months? I understand that. Hold it down back there. We're trying to see how many people get it. So, so we got some right around that three-month mark. I remember it, it. I don't believe I was married. I, um, I would take a couple times a year with one of my great friends, uh, Gary Fosdick. We would go down to uh, Ozark or Branson, Missouri, and we would either get a hotel or he has family down there in Ozark, Missouri, and we would spend the night and we would trout fish uh, and we would fish. Um, those of you that are fishing, you understand this. I, I'm not one of those, let's go fishing for an hour. I mean, sometimes that's all I have. But if I'm going to fish, in fact, I, when we were in Toledo, I went with a friend of mine. He, uh, they, they had a connection to a trout farm, I guess. It was a, a place where you could catch a fish if you looked in the water. And uh, it was one of those places you caught the fish and this guy just suddenly showed up and he would take the fish and then when you got back to your cabin, the fish were already clean. I didn't have to pay for any of it, which was really awesome. I have no idea what that little trip cost my friend, but thank you for inviting me. And, uh, you know, he, he told me later, he said, Brandon, he said, you fish from sunup to sundown. He said, I'm worn out. I said, well, that's what it means to fish. you got to get out there. That's what Brother uh, Gary Fosdick and I, we would do. We would go and we would fish. But I remember one time uh, getting there, and I like to fish, and, it, and, and I like to fish at night, and especially trout fishing. There's something kind of cool to be there at Lake Como underneath the, the dam there at night, and especially if it's a full moon. And uh, I have these little uh, strike indicators that glow, and so I can see what's happening. And I just, I enjoy it. And so I uh, was going to go, and uh, Gary didn't want to go, and, or Jerry, rather, Jerry didn't want to go. And so I took off, and Ozark, I don't know how far Ozark is, 20 miles or so from Branson. And back then, I mean, it's a little bit better now, not too much, but back then from Ozark to Branson, there was nothing. And uh, I took off, and I got about halfway down in those hills, and I realized I needed gas desperately. 
And uh, it was so bad that when I was going up the hills, it would shift the tank of gas and I would start sputtering and I would just begin to pray, Lord, please just let me get to the top of the hill because then I know I have a little bit of gas, maybe a teaspoon, and I can get down the hill. And I prayed and prayed. In fact, I ran out of gas on an exit ramp. And I could see the, the, the gas station and I was out and I remember praying very fervently, Lord, is there any way you can put just a drop or two of gas in that tank so I don't have to push this car or walk? And he did so and I coasted in and got some gas. It's a bad thing when you run out of gas. My wife's out of town, she's coming back tonight, but I remember when we had our big trailer and, and, and we were traveling, evangelizing, we were on I-10 there in, uh, near Lake Charles, Louisiana, uh, at a little town called Iowa, we had gotten in some traffic and, and we're there and all of a sudden the truck lost power and it shut off and my wife didn't know what was happening, she thought the motor broke, she thought something happened until I looked at the gas gauge and it said, empty. How many of you, let's, confession time, how many of you are, are, are you're okay to run the gas tank pretty low. Mm-hmm. Now, I know some people that say don't they never let it run past a quarter of a tank. Man, you're my hero. You're probably, if you're a guy, you're probably the same one that gets a haircut every two weeks whether you need it or not. I'm the one that waits until they give me dog tags. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I need a haircut. You know, it's one of those things. But this is a picture uh, right here that they're going to put up. And... Uh, it, not, I don't know how, how, how well you can see it back there, but it's our van and it's that little console at the head. And, it, and there it, it says, zero miles to empty. And I was still driving. Yes. I was headed with, with some other friends of ours, uh, Kelly and Tom Middleton, and we were on a, a, a double date. We were going down to the Fox Theater. And, and she snapped that picture because she was flipping out that we were at zero. And you know what I said? I know my car. We got a couple more miles. Any guys ever do that? You're the one that, that tries to beat your GPS time. When they say estimated time of arrival, it's like a race to you. Or you know it's okay if, if your car uh, gaslight comes on. I still got 30 miles. I'm good. I'm good. But, but it's, it's one thing to run on empty. The more that I'm around, the more that I'm alive, I am amazed as I look at the story of the prodigal son and there's so many truths to the prodigal son and I'm not going to preach the prodigal son the way the story plays out. I'm not today interested in the in the rest uh, uh, you know you know in him coming back. I'm not interested in in that story. I'm only interested in that 14th verse of Luke chapter 15. The story plays out where the young man says to his father, divide the inheritance, we want the inheritance. And so the dad gives the portion of that young man's inheritance to him and he goes and he squanders his living, takes all that he has, he takes a journey into a far country and there he squandered his property in a reckless living and and he loses it all, he spends it on anything and everything. The easiest way to view this story is go see some of the stories uh, that, that we hear in the news of people who've won millions and millions of dollars and in less than a year, they've, they've spent it all. And I'll be honest, I, I, I don't understand it. I'm sure I could do it, but I don't understand it. When, we were, when I was a youth uh, pastor, we did a, a scavenger hunt in the mall. And, and the scavenger hunt was this. Every child, every young person had... Uh, uh, I, I want to say we had $100,000 uh, 
you know, if you will, to spend, and they could buy one item from 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 a store, or maybe there was a few more, but they couldn't buy just anything. They had to buy one or two items from every store, and we were going to see who could spend their hundred thousand dollars. It's harder than you think. In fact, the one who won was a very smart young man, and he went to that bulk candy store, and he bought like a thousand pounds of one candy, and that's how he was able to spend his money, you know. But it's harder than you think. But this young man spent all that he had. And when he had spent everything, the Bible is quick to say a famine arose in that country. I think there's more truth to that than just playing out the story. As I look through the Bible, as I look through my own life, it seems to be that famines come more often when you've spent all you have and you're running on empty. Now, I'll be nice because my wife's not here, but those of you men who have wives and you, you tend to uh, jump in their car when you're in a hurry and that little gaslight deems. You ever notice that when you're in the hurry the most is when your car needs gas? Let me take it one step back. Have you ever noticed when, like tonight, going home from church, you'll say, mm, I probably should stop and get gas. But you know what? It'll be okay. I can get it tomorrow. And tomorrow you don't hear your alarm go off, and the kids are having trouble. And you were doing everything to get to work on time and you race out as fast as you can and you get into your car and you turn on the car. And when you have no time to get gas, it's the time you need it the most. Such is true when you've been running on empty and famine's come. The story is told, the, the Bible indicates in Genesis chapter 12 when the Lord had told Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. Go to a land that I show you. I'll make you a great nation. And all of these promises, I'll bless you, that bless them that bless you. I'll curse those that curse you. I, I want you to go take your family. Abraham goes, Lot goes, and they depart. And then the Bible says as they are going, a famine arose in the land and Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there and the famine was severe in the land. And the more that I begin to look at famines in the Bible, the more I realize that when a famine comes, that's when a lot of these men and women failed. Abraham promises a promise from God, go and, and I'll take care of you and then something comes, something, the, the, the famine's there and instead of trusting in the Lord, instead of putting his faith in the Lord, he goes to Egypt and in Egypt he lies, in Egypt he cheats, in Egypt he says his wife is really his sister and all of that takes place in a famine and I, I can only extrapolate this, maybe I, I can't tell you it exactly but I'm quite convinced the issue was Abraham began to run on empty and when the trial came, when the famine came, he just sort of forgot about the promises of God and he went to Egypt, a place he had no business going to. The Bible says in Ruth chapter 1 
in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. His name was Elimelech. His wife was Naomi, his two sons, Malon and Chilion. And I've preached about this. It's the story of Ruth. But Bethlehem translates as the house of bread. And they leave the promised land. They leave the house of bread. I know there was probably a famine going on. I get that. But they left the house of bread and they went to the enemy's camp. They went to the enemy's place. They had no business. In fact, I could show you Bible where it says, don't go and marry Moab, Moabites. Don't go to Edom. Don't, don't, don't surge on there. But, but they did. And, 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 and it's what happens when a famine comes. Even... In 2 Samuel, there's this interesting story. 2 Samuel chapter 21 and verse 9. And it says, there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David sought the face of the Lord. And the Lord said, there is blood guilt on Saul in his house because he put the Gibeonites to death. And, and this is kind of part of the Bible that, that, that doesn't mesh well with our sensitive uh, American and, and modern world thinking. But... Somewhere Saul had breached the trust and God takes a breach of trust very seriously and Saul had put the Gibeonites to death and because of that sin, the country of Israel was into a, a famine for three years and so David had to take care of that famine and then they, they went and Saul had to replay, or, or David had to replay, repay blood for blood and killed Saul's family and, and brought them to or, or brought them to the Gibeonites and let them kill him and, and, and we, we say well, well why is all of that? The famine was because of the sin. It's interesting that just three chapters later in 2 Samuel chapter 24 when David numbers the people and David realizes what he's done, he begins to pray and he repents. He says, I've sinned greatly in what I've done, but now, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant. I've done foolishly. And the prophet comes and the word of God gives David three options because of his sin. I can bring famine on the, the, uh, the nation for three years. I can cause you to lose every battle and you'll flee from your enemies for three months or I can send three days pestilence in your land. And I'm only saying this, I'm just saying it because many times the famines in our life are because we're not doing what we ought to be doing. We're empty. We're empty. In Nehemiah chapter 5, it's during the time of exile and there's a great outcry that arises and they make the statement, they said, With our sons and daughters, we are many. Let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. But some said, We're having to mortgage our fields. We're having to mortgage our vineyards and set our houses to get grain because of the famine. We borrowed money for the king's tax. And basically what they were saying is, In this famine, we gave up things that meant something to us. And now we're, we've lost our homes and we've lost our fields and we've lost our, our vineyards because of the famine. When you run on empty, the famine seems greater than it probably really is. When you have nothing in the tank, there arose a famine after he spent all that he had. In our lives, in our walk with God, even uh, this afternoon in between services, we had our, uh, our MIT class, ministers in training class, and I began to talk to them about the importance of putting down their roots deep because we're not 
so concerned with their calling of God as I am with their connection with God. And, and you can go through some dry times in your life. You can go through some famines if your roots run deep. But when you run on empty, you have nothing in the tank. You have no reserve. You have nothing to, to hold you when the, the trials come. You have nothing to get you through when the bad times come. You are empty, and it begins to take its toll on you. You ever notice you can go and plant grass and that grass can come up in just a few days. It looks so green. It looks so nice. But let a few days, and I'm not talking about a drought. I'm talking about one or two days where you don't water. All the other grass in the world can last one or two days, but the grass you just planted suddenly dries up and it looks like the Sahara Desert. And you're like, I was just going to work for seven hours. You know why? It hasn't put down roots. But you can take a, a drought that lasts a couple seasons and that mighty oak tree, while it may wither a bit, it may not produce the same amount of crop of acorns, but that old oak, it can stand strong because its roots are tapped deep and it's preparing itself. Hey, a famine might come, a, a hard time might come, but I'm not going to run on empty. We don't have them in our cars. It would be nice. But if you got a motorcycle, a lot of your motorcycles or your ATVs, they have a reserve tank. And if you're smart, you don't ever use that reserve tank until something happens. And I've been out in the, in the wilderness. I've been out in the back 40 where, where I ran out of gas. And then I remember, oh, I've got a reserve tank. And I can reach down there and flip that knob. And it may only be a gallon or so, but it's enough to hopefully get me back to where I can pull up to a gas station and I can begin to fill up my ATV or my motorcycle because there was a reserve. you got to have something in the tank when famine comes. The best way to survive a famine is to do what you see in the book of Genesis chapter 41 verse 25. When Pharaoh had this dream, he had the dream that he saw seven skinny cows and seven fat cows and the seven skinny cows ate the fat cows and then he saw uh, seven good ears of corn and seven scrawny ears of corn and I ain't quite sure how this happens but the seven scrawny ears of corn ate the seven fat ears of corn and, and he began to wonder what it was and in the midst of all of that, Pharaoh gets a hold of Joseph and Joseph reveals to him the dream. The seven good cows are seven years. The seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that come up after, those are seven years of famine that are going to follow seven years of excess. And he says, Pharaoh, if you're going to survive the famine, you better put aside from those years of excess and you better save stuff, get it in the tank because everything that you will eat for those seven lean years is going to be connected to what you had in the tank the seven years before. Pharaoh says, well, I can't do this on my own. Will you help me? And he puts Joseph in charge of this 
this operation for seven years. Joseph, if you will, taxes the people and he says, you have to bring so much grain into the silos. You have to bring so much of your food as a reserve. And they do that one-fifth of the produce of the land every year for seven years went into storage. I'm sure there were some that says, why are you doing that? It doesn't make any sense. Why are you taking? Wouldn't it be better for us to keep it all ourselves? But Joseph said, no, there's a famine coming. And you better take this extra that you have now, this blessing that you have now, put it away, and we're going to gather the food these good years and store it up. And then when the seven years of famine come, we'll have a reserve. There's something about having something in the tank. Why do we come to church three times a week? Why do we have ladies' Bible studies and ladies' prayer meetings and, and, and family prayer meetings? Why do we have times where, where you can gather? Why do we have youth services every week? It's because you've got to store up for the famine years. You've got to put some stuff in the tank. I have noticed when I miss a service, even if it's for a vacation and maybe we're traveling, but I've noticed when I don't get my Bible reading in, when I don't get my God connection in, when I don't come into the house of the Lord, I have a tendency to run on empty and when I run on empty famine comes now, I don't think Joseph I mean he knew the famine was there but I don't think the famine affected Joseph I don't know that his diet changed very much during that famine I don't know that those that came, their diet changed very much. But if you got out, like if we wanted to take the story completely, we could go all the way to where uh, uh, Joseph's father and, and family was still there. And, and that famine hit them hard. So much that they had to come to Egypt to get grain, to get food, because they hadn't stored it up. When the famine hit and their tank was empty, that's when it hurt them the most. I don't know if you recall my message a few years ago about my foray into beekeeping when I preached on the danger of the dearth when it comes to, to beekeeping and bees and the life cycle of bees bees their life blood is pollen and nectar and there's a time every year it's different for where you live but there's a time every year where the plants don't produce the pollen like normal and the nectar begins to slow down and they call it the dearth and it's that time and that dearth that most beekeepers or most colonies that's when they struggle and there are many colonies that die and there's many uh, uh, hives that, that die or they become weak and diseased and it's because the famine came and they had nothing in the tank. In nature, the bee understands it, but in the, in the beekeeping world, a, a good beekeeper will make sure to, to not take the honey out of the hive when they know a dearth is coming, and they make sure there's stores in the hive. In the wintertime, the bees don't fly. In the wintertime, they ball up in the middle of the hive, and they keep themselves warm. It doesn't matter if you're in the plains of South Dakota, and it's 40 below zero. You can take a, a, a thermal uh, uh, imager into a beehive, and inside that beehive, it will be 85 degrees. They can regulate their own temperature to 85 degrees, but if they don't have have enough stored up, they die. 
can I just tell you for a moment, there are going to be hard times in your life. You're going to come to times where, where it seems the famine is hitting. You're going to come to circumstances and situations that tax you. And when you fall, I can always trace it back. You had nothing in the tank. But those that have something in the tank... Those whose roots run deep. Those who came to church on a regular basis and let the presence of God fill them. Those that worship on a regular basis and let the glory of God fill them. You're not running on empty. And that time may come where you've got to dig deep into the reserves of your spirit. But you can say, I weathered the storm. I was not empty. I was filled. The prayer that I pray is Psalms 33, verse 18 and 19 that simply says this. It says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His steadfast love, that He may deliver their soul from death and may keep them alive in the famine. I'm here today to tell you that the Lord knows when the famine's coming. The Lord knows when the dearth is coming. The Lord knows when the time that you're going to have to struggle and kind of slog your way through life, but He is able to prepare you for it. I'm amazed at how many times you've walked up to me and you said, Pastor, you preached something on a Sunday and then Monday it hit us hard. You know what God was doing? He was filling you up on a Sunday so you can walk through a famine on a Monday say pastor my family's in turmoil my, my job's in turmoil my health's in turmoil look back and see if God didn't give you opportunities to fill your tank and to make sure that you had enough to weather the storm I believe it's in the Mojave Desert the desert that contains death valleys the hottest places on earth desolate. It's a real desert. I've been to the Sonoran Desert and it's beautiful and I was actually surprised at how much actually grows in the desert. They say when you get to the Mojave Desert, it's totally different. And there's a road, if I understand it, that goes through it, cuts through the Mojave Desert. But there is a very long stretch and I mean a very long stretch of that road that has nothing. It has no gas stations, no convenience stores, nowhere to stop. And it's just a hundred degrees of heat bearing down on you. I have not been able to see it. Perhaps some of you have. But they say leading up to that desolate stretch of desert, there are signs constantly that say last gas station for however many miles is so many miles ahead. You keep going. Is your tank full? The sign will say. Are you prepared? There's nothing coming. There's no gas station coming. But every year there are people that blow by those signs and say, I can make it on what I got in the tank. And they're the ones that are stuck in the desert and have to be rescued. Now we're blessed. We got cell phones and all that. We can handle it. But there are people that have died because they get out there and they didn't bring enough water and they didn't have enough gas in the tank. Can I tell you today that there are signs in our lives and perhaps this sermon is one of them where God begins to look at you and he says, hey, 
You better get what you need right now in this service. You better get what you need tomorrow when you crack your Bible open and you begin to pray. You better fill your tank up now because there's a trial coming. There's a, a, a situation that's about to loom its head. And are you filled? Are you ready? You never know when you need the reserve. Fill your tank now. Fill your tank now. I'm one of those, I've already told you, I'm one of those that will run that gas tank to plumb empty where it says zero miles in the tank because I'm... I live in the suburbs. I live in the city. There's a gas station every two miles or two minutes. First time I jumped in the police car, riding with them, first thing that officer did is he went and he gassed up the car, and I kind of made fun of him because they only put like two gallons in it. I said, what are you doing? He said, Brandon, we run our cars 24 hours a day, and we never know when we get on a big call or we get on a police chase or we go somewhere and we can't afford to run out of gas. And so even when we don't think we need to fill, we still fill up. May you and I have that same prayer, that same mindset. Even when I don't think I need to come to church, even when I don't think I need to pray, even when I think everything's going okay, I need to realize I've got to take time to fill up now. It may only be two gallons, but i got to fill up now because you never know when you're on a stretch and it's desolate and it's dark and your tank indicator keeps dropping lower and lower you can walk through and say I had enough because I was filled it's Peter, I mentioned it this morning but let me mention it again, it's Peter that looked at that poor uh, crippled man there at the gate and he says I don't have any silver or gold but such as I have the only way that Peter could make that statement is if he was filled and ready I would dare say and I could I could throw myself in the mix and put a mirror on the front row and preach to myself right now. But I dare say the reason we don't see quite the miracles that Peter saw was because our conversation to the the, the man would have been something like this. I don't want to give you any money because I'm afraid you're gonna go spend it on drugs or something. So I'm not gonna give you any money. I don't I don't you know I have silver and gold, but I'm not gonna give it to you. But I believe God can heal, but you gotta you gotta give me a moment. I'm not I'm not ready to pray for you. Let me go, let me go back to pastor. Let me hear a good sermon preach. Let me let me go pray and fast for a few days and let me get right with God and then maybe we'll talk about your healing. No. Peter said, I can be instant in season and out of season, such as I have. Give I thee. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. What was Peter doing? Peter was pulling from a full tank. He was pulling from a full tank. And God honored that. I wonder if we could stand here today. Don't run on empty. If you're finding that that desert place, if you're finding that famine is hitting you harder and harder, then I'm asking that you would examine the state of your spiritual gas tank. And instead, you would begin to look and you would begin to see. And you would begin to to identify, are you full? Are you running on fumes? I've lived life long enough. I've been around the block long enough and I've pastored long enough to recognize when people come in and they're running on fumes. But I've also been with people 
that have gone through hell and high water, but they had a full tank. And I know it was hurting. I know it was painful. I know life wasn't great, but they were drawing from a deep well. And I'm asking you today to examine your tank and find out whether you are full of his spirit or whether you're approaching that empty mark. Today's a chance. Right now is a chance for you to fill up your life in case the famine's on its way. I open these altars, and I think this is one of those moments where every one of us needs to find a place to pray.